Amen. If you turn your Bibles, please, to uh, the book of Luke, the book of Luke chapter 9, we're beginning with verse number uh, 46 uh, this morning. You know, there's always uh, a saying you'd always hear all the time, and it would go something like this. You know, you can take uh, the boy out of the country, but can't take the country out of the boy. And it just reminds that uh, you can take somebody from, to, uh, from one place to another, but it really doesn't, uh, really doesn't change them. And I, we know that we experience this uh, as believers, that we become uh, Christians and uh, He can save us and uh, we can go to church, but there are just some things in our life that are just hard to quit, aren't they? There are just some things, some attitudes and some habits and some things, buddy, we just can't shake regardless of how hard we try. And this morning, we're going to be talking about one of the hardest things that there is for us to shake in our life, and that is our pride and our ego. Does anybody else here this morning have a trouble with their pride? Does anyone have trouble a lot of times thinking that they're greater than everybody else? Is there anyone else here this morning that struggles with their envy towards one another? Well, the good news is that the Lord has instructions for us because His disciples had the same trouble as we are. So we need to listen to his instruction this morning as he tells us how we can get over our pride of always wanting to be the greatest. So let's read together in the book of Luke chapter 9. Let's begin with verse number 46. It says, An argument arose among them as to which of them was the greatest. But Jesus, knowing the reasoning of their hearts, took took a child and put him by his side and said to them, Whoever receives this child in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives him who sent me. For he who is least among you all is the one who is great. John answered, Master, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he does not follow with us. And Jesus said to him, Do not stop him. For the one who is not against us is for you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this day that you've given us, Lord. Lord, as we read these verses this morning, Lord, we're just reminded, Lord, that even as we confess you as our Lord and Savior, Lord, even as we love you with all of our heart, Lord, it's just so hard to get that sinful nature. Lord, it's just so hard to get the devil out of our heart. So, Lord, this morning, as we meditate on these verses, Lord, I pray, Lord, that you speak to us. Lord, and teach us, Lord, to stop wanting to be great in the world, but, Lord, strive to be great in your name and in your kingdom. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Man, I tell you what, uh, these uh, disciples, I'm convinced more and more that the disciples were Baptists. And uh, the more I read the Scripture, the more I read about these disciples, the more I'm convinced they must be Baptists. Because every time you seem to look around, they're having some kind of argument, right? It don't take much for us Baptists to get in some kind of uh, argument. And so here are, these, uh, here are the disciples, and here are Jesus, and they're going from uh, one town to another, and they've been doing all kind of great things, and Jesus has showed them all great things. But what are they going to do on their uh, conversation? What are they going to do on their way from this place to this place where they're going to have an argument? 
And it's just a typical guy argument, isn't it? Because if you get a guy, bunch of guys in a room together before long, they're going to start talking about something. And uh, when they start talking about that something, they're going to be start talking about who's the greatest at whatever they're talking about. And if you're not the greatest about whatever it is they're talking about, just be the greatest at talking. That's usually what I'll do because I'm really not good at anything, so I'll just be good at talking. And so they were having this discussion, and they were having this argument about who was the greatest disciple. I wonder what brought this argument on. Was it the fact that we read that uh, Peter, James, and John, they were the three that were chosen to go with Jesus up on the mountain to see something great? Was it that sort of separation that started them to think in their hearts and their minds that they were greater than everybody else? Were they talking about some of the journeys that maybe they did together when Jesus sent them out two by two? Were they talking about, hey, I was able to heal more people than you. I was able to do this great thing, and you weren't. I wonder by what standard were they trying to measure greatness? I wonder what they decided was going to make or was going to qualify them to be a great disciple. And I'm sure Peter would get up and he'd start talking about all the great things that he's done for the Lord. And then they'd start laughing at him about drowning. And then, then uh, you'd probably have Thomas get up and say that I'm the greatest disciple. And everybody else says, well, I doubt it. And you could just imagine them going around the room. And I could just imagine as it get, got to, uh, to uh, Matthew. And Matthew was the only one amongst the group that was really educated. And I'm pretty sure he thought in his mind that he was just surrounded by a bunch of morons. Moron fishermen, and he was the only educated one amongst them, so he must be the greatest disciple. I can only imagine what they presented to be the great qualities of what would qualify them to be a great disciple. But I think about what we may think in our hearts and our lives that would make me or make you Think that you're a greater disciple, that you are a greater Christian than everybody else in your room, everybody else in this room. Maybe you could talk about where well, you're at church more than everybody else. Or maybe you could talk about all the money that you gave to the church. Or you maybe talk about I went to this place or that place. Or maybe you could say, I must be the greatest Christian in this church because I put up with the preacher the most. You know, you could just imagine the things that you would uh, put forth to be the greatest disciple. And even amongst us who are preachers and our ministers, we'll kind of fall ourselves into this trap about what makes us good preachers, what makes us good evangelists. We could talk about the size of our church. We could talk about how God's moving in our church. We could present all these great things, and we're always lured into the trap of thinking about how we are greater than everybody else who's around us. And so they're having this argument. And I love this phrase because we've seen it a lot in Matthew, I mean, a lot in Luke. And I mentioned it every time that we see it because it says that Jesus knowing their thoughts. He didn't know the, hear the argument, but he knew their thoughts. And it's always alarming. And it's always sobering to think in our mind that Jesus knows our thoughts. Even beyond what we may try to trick people into thinking about ourselves, even what type of front we may try to put on, 
even though that we may try to look like everything's going great in our life, Jesus knows our thoughts. Jesus knows our hearts. And he knew that he had a bunch of disciples that couldn't shake pride in their life. So he said, look, I got to show these people better. So he does an object lesson. So what does he do? He grabs a young child. Doesn't say he could have been a five-year-old, could have been a four-year-old, could have been a nine-year-old, could have been a 12-year-old. But he brings a child next to him. And it really just shows us something about Jesus. He was making a point here that he takes time for the lowly. That he took into his side a child and brought him beside him and was going to use him as an example. You know, a lot of people don't want to spend a whole lot of time with children because children can be a hassle, because children can be noisy, and children are destructive, and children can be expensive. And there's a lot of people in the world today that want to get married, and they don't want to have children because they're such a hassle. It's such a burden. They want to go traveling. They want to go eating. They want to spend their money on other things. And to have children and to have to take care of something like that is just a burden to their lifestyle. So they don't want to have a part of it because children can be a trouble. And I know even for you, a lot of uh, uh, grandparents, and you'll love those grandkids, and you want to have those grandkids around you. But then all of a sudden, buddy, them grandkids start wearing you out. And then grandkids start crying. And then grandkids want to get fed. And so you're going to get on that phone and you're going to say, hey, come get your child. Children can be a hassle. And a lot of times we look lowly at the potential of children. And a lot of times in these ages when the children were very young, they would just be left with mama our grandmother, while the men would go out and fish, or they would go out and hunt, or they would go off to do trade, and somebody else was left for the kids because we didn't have time for them until they were old enough to start participating in whatever the family trade was. But to Jesus, the children represented the lowly ones. The children represented the marginalized ones. The children represented the people that nobody else wanted to make time for. But Jesus made time for them. And listen to what he says. He takes the child and he says, whoever, which one ever you receives this little child in my name also receives me and also receives the one who sent me. Now, a lot of times in the world today, we think about the corporate ladder. We think about we start here at the low, low bottom, and we want to work our way up. You think about when you started out at a job, and some of you, you know, run out of high school, and uh, you start at work, you know, that next week, and uh, you start in a low, low position. Maybe you were sweeping floors. Maybe you were having to working after somebody or cleaning up after somebody that was doing the work. You know, maybe you were a carpenter 
and you were just a cleanup person. But eventually you wanted to get to the point where you would work up that ladder to not only you weren't the person who cleaned up, but you were the person that was actually hanging the sheetrock. You were actually the person, the one that was driving the nails. You were actually the one that was doing the rigging. And once you got to that position, you done got too good for cleaning up. That was somebody else's job. That was a lowly person's job. And then, buddy, you worked out that heat long enough, and uh, you got tired of that heat because it's, uh, you know, 105 degrees. And then so you decided, I'm going to work out of that job. And so uh, you became a manager. And now instead of working out in the heat, you get to go sit in the air conditioner in the office. And now you ain't got time to go out and do work. You're going to send somebody else to do the work because you are higher up. And so we're going to let the low ones do up. And you just move up and move up and move up. Now, have you ever noticed the further you go up, the less work people do? And that's the way we think about the ladder. We move up and we move up and we move up. And as we get higher and higher, there's just certain lowly positions that we just rise above and we don't do anymore. But listen to the ladder that Jesus presents for us. He says that if you will receive, in other words, if you will serve, if you will take on the responsibility of this lowly child. It's like you are doing it for me. And so if you do it on behalf of me, it's like you're doing it for the Father. It's completely opposite. You don't just go up, and as you go up, you start to get above lower-meaning jobs. But what Jesus says, when you do the lowly task it's like you're doing what my heart was. It's like you're representing me. And so when you do that in my name, then I see that and I recognize it. It's like you're doing it for me. And if you do it on my behalf, it's like you're doing it for the Father. So we do the lowly tasks on earth, but yet it's glorified in heaven. Because notice the phrase that he used. He says, if you will receive this child, everyone who receives a little child in my name. And that's a very important phrase that we need to remember because Jesus, is, Jesus uses it a lot. You do it in my name. In other words, you're doing it as you do would do it for Jesus. Or you're doing it because that's what Jesus wants you to do. And it's important that we do things in Jesus' name and for Jesus to see it because those lowly tasks or those things that we do here upon this earth, a lot of times people aren't going to recognize us. They're not going to give us the glory for it. They're not going to give us the recognition for it. They're not going to pay us back for it the way that we expect. And so if we do those things in order for other people to see it, we're going to be disappointed. We're going to be let down. But if we do it, in the name of Jesus, he always sees it. And he always will glorify the work that we do here upon this earth. Remember when he also talked about in another part where he talked about anyone who gives a cup of water in my name. Remember when he was challenging and talking about the people of God. You know, uh, you know what? Uh, remember when you 
uh, when I was in prison and you came to see me. Remember when I was hungry and you gave me food. Remember when I was naked and you gave me something, uh, something to wear. And they asked I said, well, when, when did we give you food? When did we, when did we clothe you? When did we go to see, to see you in prison? And then he said, when you do these things to the least of these in my name, then it's like you're doing it for me. It's important for us to remember that when we do those tasks, it's Jesus who's going to pay us back. It's Jesus who's going to honor us. You know, a lot of times when the when we forgive people the way that Jesus does, a lot of times they don't forgive us back. A lot of times when we do good things for people, they don't do good things in return. Sometimes they'll even do evil. But it's important for us to remember that the impetus, that the reward, and that the object of doing the things for the least of these is not what we will receive from them because if it is, we're going to wind up disappointed a lot of times because they don't respond in the right way. But if we do it in the name of Jesus because he has called us to do, then we can rest assured and have hope that he'll always see it and that he will always reward it. Does anyone who receives a little child receives me and also receives the one who sent me. And then he goes on to say, um, he goes on to say uh, this, for he who is the least among you all is the one who is the greatest. So we think about that line, and, and we think about that chart, and we think about how there's someone there at the top, and that person at the top rules over the ones below it, and the ones below that rule the ones below that until you get to the bottom, and there's less and less work the harder you go, and the one who's on the very, very bottom serves everybody who's above them, and what Jesus wants us to do is he wants us to catch that vision. He said, I want you to imagine I want you to imagine yourself on the bottom of the world's ladder. I want you to imagine making yourself the least of these. I want you to imagine yourself as a servant to everybody here upon this earth. That you make yourself lowlier than everybody else. That you seek to serve everybody here upon this earth regardless of what earthly position that you make. Because if you make yourself a servant to everybody, if you will make yourself the least in this world, Jesus says that's who's the greatest in the kingdom of God. How do we know that's true? How do we know that Jesus' words are true? Because that's what he did. He was up there in heaven, and he was having a good time. He was there surrounded by angels who did nothing but praise him all the day long. He had no sense of hunger, no sense of longing, no a sense of being tired. He had everything. But he 
humbled himself. He came out of that comfort. He came from being on the top of the ladder and he made himself a servant to all of us. And he came upon this earth. And while he was on this earth, he served everybody. He served the righteous and the unrighteous, the poor and the rich, the sinners and the saints, the ones in high position and the ones in low position. Everyone he served. And then he humbled himself even more by submitting himself to the rulers and dying on the cross of the sin, for our sins. And in doing so, he was raised up. And God gave him a name that was above every other name. He made himself the least. He made himself a servant all. And because he did that, God exalted him above everybody else. You know, there's a lot of people that we think we're too good to be around. There's a lot of people that we think we're too good to talk to. There's a lot of people that we regard as untouchables. There's a lot of people that we regard as someone we don't even want to be associated with. But the Bible teaches us to not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. But only do we think that way about people, but we also think that way about tasks. A task too good for someone of such a high standing of me. Some, a task that's below someone with the intellect or the talents of you. But Jesus said for us, that we are to be the least, we are to be the lowliest, and we are to make ourselves a servant to all. And in the church and in life, there's always these tasks that nobody really likes to do because we establish kind of an order of what's the high things and what's the low things. Rather be up here preaching, that's a high task. Back with kids in the nursery, that's a low task. Rather be up here uh, as, a, as a deacon leading the singing or doing something like that on a high committee, high thing, cleaning out the kitchen, low thing. And we set that thought in our mind and seeking to be the greatest in the kingdom of the world, we make ourselves the least in the kingdom of God. It's so hard for us as it is the disciples to get our minds out of thinking the way the world thinks, that we would actually humble ourselves to put aside our pride of the way that everybody else thinks or what everybody else thinks and to do the things that God has called us to do because Jesus went to the lowly. Jesus went to the hurting, and so should we. Pride and ego hard things to get rid of. But so is his favorite first cousin, and that is envy. And that's what we have in verse number 49. It says, John answered, Master, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he does not follow 
with us. But Jesus said to him, do not stop him. For the one who is not against you is for you. You know, a lot of times we can get ourselves in the disposition that God's the only one, or we're the only ones that God can work through. A lot of times we'll hear about what's going over at that church, and we'll want to bring it down and talk about it and talk bad about it because we have envy, because we have jealousy in our heart. But Jesus wants us to know that anyone not against us is for us. And just because they're not a part of our group, just because they're not a part of our denomination, just because they're not a part of what we would say is the in-group, doesn't mean that the Lord is not working through them. And we really cannot make it with that spirit of lack of cooperation. And he wants us to always understand that we as the church of Jesus Christ exist in many congregations, but we all seek to do the same thing. But jealousy so easily creeps in our heart. So let's not spend our time talking down what everybody else is doing, but let's spend our time stirring up one another as we talk Wednesday night that we actually follow God and allow him to do things through us. You know, when we become believers in, in Christ and Jesus washes us clean, even when he sets us on that road, there are so many old habits that we have to break. Our pride, our way of thinking about the world, our way of seeing the others around us, it's a constant process that we have to stay focused on God and allow him to shape our priorities and allow him to shape our lives. Because if we use the pattern of the world, then we'll go astray. But if we'll stay focused on him and his word, we'll find ourselves being conformed into his image slowly, day by day, and week by week. And I pray that all of us, all of us, will lay ourselves down at his altar and allow him to continually change us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're so grateful for your salvation. But Lord, we know that bringing your salvation, Lord, you also want to sanctify us. Lord, you want to take us and make us into something new. But in Lord, in order to make us something new, we got to get rid of some old habits. We got to get rid of some old ways of thinking. So Lord, search our heart this morning. Lord, let us ask ourselves if pride is keeping us from serving the people you have called us to serve. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing. Hymn of invitation, I pray that you come.